I love languages. I love learning languages. I love trying to speak other languages. I studied in Spain in 2001, and I was a high school Spanish teacher for five years. Hi, this is Justin Hibbert, and you're listening to Why Catholic, my podcast where I dive into the what and why of Catholicism. Now, I grew up in some pretty anti-Catholic circles, and by that I don't mean that we hated Catholics. I mean that we perpetuated a lot of straw man fallacies about Catholics. Remember that straw man idea, that level one conversation, I can articulate what I think is true about a particular worldview. I talked about this in episode one. If you haven't had a chance to listen, please do so. We said things in our circles like Catholics worship Mary, they believe in a works-based salvation, they don't value the Bible, things like that. However, there were two sources that really helped me overcome merely spewing falsehoods about Catholics. The first was when I actually met faithful Catholics who were able to eloquently articulate their beliefs, and the second was when I listened to people that had a Protestant background like me, but had converted to Catholicism. When it came to the first source, I really owe it to two people, my friends Martin and Father Ezra. Martin and I spent many hours on a sketchy golf course in Baltimore. He was in med school at the time, and I was a teacher, so that course fit our budget. I would ask him questions about what Catholics believed, and he would help explain that to me. Father Ezra, before he was ordained a Dominican priest, did the same. It's in these relationships that I began to see the faces of Catholicism. Regarding the second type of source that I found tremendously helpful was a podcast called On the Journey with Matt and Ken. I've included a link to this in the show notes. Ken Hensley was a former Baptist pastor and Matt Swain, the other co-host, was a former Wesleyan. Together they discuss Catholic beliefs but are able to share how it compares to Protestant doctrines and what they thought about it uh, when they were Protestants. This was perfect for me because I was a former Baptist pastor and attended a Wesleyan college. They're able to present Catholicism in terms and ideas that I could understand. This is essential for language learning. When I taught Spanish, most of the time I had to use words and concepts in English to help my students understand a word, idea, or cultural norm in Spanish. For example, I could just say, siesta means nap, but really there's an entire worldview behind that word. And so I would go into explaining the Spanish summer heat, the idea that Spaniards work to live and not live to work, the importance of family. I talk about my experience going home from school in the middle of the day, having lunch, and then taking a nap. Siesta isn't just about sleeping, it's about leisure in the middle of the workday. I might even talk about how the siesta actually creates four rush hours instead of two. I was presenting a Spanish word here and concept in words that my students could better understand, but ultimately, you really don't understand until you experience it. Something happens for language learners too. There comes this point where you've added an entire lexicon to your linguistic arsenal, and so when you go to articulate an idea, you find that your native dictionary fails to have the word to describe an experience. And so you would rather borrow a word from a second or third language instead. Something I found frustrating while studying in Spain was emailing friends and family back home and explaining a rich cultural experience I had using English words. Language and culture are inseparable, and so trying to explain Spanish culture using English words was just inadequate. You may have listened to a homily or a sermon where a pastor explains a biblical concept and dives into the Hebrew or Greek word and its etymology. For example, when we read 1 Corinthians 13 about love, it is entirely inadequate to use the English word love. We really have only one word for love when the Greeks had multiple words, and the word used in that passage is a special one. It's called agape. 
And so it's important to distinguish agape love from phileo or eros love so that we can understand the point that St. Paul here is making. As a side note, I think the fact that we have linguistical limits, like only one word for love, creates some pretty problematic societal issues, but that's a chat for another day. The point is, when you borrow one language to describe another culture, you will typically find that things get lost in translation. This is why I am convinced that the challenge between Protestants and Catholics isn't so much about theological differences, though yes, there are some, as it is about a language barrier. I have a theory that this language barrier happens in three ways, concepts, words, and punctuation. Let me explain. Let's start with concepts, and let me give you an illustration from Jonathan Swift's classic novel, Gulliver's Travels. In the book, Gulliver travels to this island called Lilliput, where he encounters these miniature people less than a foot tall. He is fascinated by them, and they are terrified of Gulliver, who is around six feet tall. The Lilliputans are intent on learning about this giant Gulliver as he is about learning about them. One thing they observe is that he constantly looks at this orb that he pulls out of his pocket. They haven't seen anything like it. And so they begin describing it using their own words and ideas. What they're actually observing is Gulliver's pocket watch. And he explains that he never does anything without consulting it. What do you think this leads to? Yes, this leads to the Lilliputans calling it Gulliver's God. On one hand, Jonathan Swift is employing satire. He's showing how the West's obsession with time is bordering on the idolatrous. On the other hand, the Lilliputians' claim is absurd. Because they have no concept of a clock and have a different concept of time, they are using their words to describe something completely foreign to them. Something similar happens when Protestants try to explain Catholicism. For example, consider the Virgin Mary. Most Protestants don't have a concept of communing with saints that are in heaven. Um, nor do they elevate Mary. Most think that she was special and that she was Jesus' mother, but they tend to keep it at that. Protestants also, for the most part, don't use words like venerate, and so they lack that shared experience with Catholics. Therefore, when they see Catholics venerating Mary, they use their own terminology in order to describe what they're observing. Hence, most Protestants aren't necessarily being uncharitable when they accuse Catholics of worshiping Mary. They're using the limits of their language to describe something foreign to them. This is an example of how concepts or ideas get lost in translation. Another example of a language barrier between Protestants and Catholics is the concept of words. For example, how one culture uses a word or a phrase can differ greatly from the way another culture uses it. Let's revisit that Spanish culture again. Spaniards have a mandatory four weeks of vacation. What tends to happen is that they'll take their vacation all at once, usually in August. And for this reason, if you travel to Spain in August, you will find that entire businesses are shut down. In the United States, when we say we are going on vacation, we typically mean for a few days or maybe a week, we find people to cover our responsibilities so that businesses can stay open. And oftentimes, we still work on our vacations, checking emails, attending some meetings virtually. This is an example of how two cultures will use the same word vacation, but have entirely different meanings. This also happens between Protestants and Catholics. Take, for instance, the phrase praying to the saints. When a Protestant hears this phrase, they picture a Catholic praying to a saint as though they are praying to a deity, like praying to God. Because Protestants, for the most part, only talk about praying to God, the idea of praying to saints appears idolatrous. We're replacing 
God with saints. However, when Catholics say praying to the saints, what they mean is that they are asking saints who are in heaven in the presence of God for intercession. For Catholics, praying to the saints is similar to asking a friend to pray for them. The difference is that the saint is in heaven and the friend is on earth. We'll talk a lot more about this in upcoming episodes. A document between Lutherans and Catholics actually calls out this mistranslation of words or misunderstanding of words. In 1999, the Lutheran World Federation and the Catholic Church published the Joint Declaration on the Doctrine of Justification. I've included a link to this in the show notes. One of the endnotes calls out how there appears to be a misunderstanding in the use of language. It says, if we translate from one language to another, then Protestant talk about justification through faith corresponds to Catholic talk about justification through grace. And on the other hand, Protestant doctrine understands substantially under the one word faith what Catholic doctrine sums up in the triad of faith, hope, and love. I've mentioned how concepts and words can result in misunderstandings between different cultures. The third way this happens is with punctuation. For example, when I was dating my future wife, I once joined her when she went home from college. Her mom said to her, you will cut your father's hair while you're home. I found this to be extremely abrasive and demanding. Why wouldn't she say something like, hey, glad you're home. And when you're home, would you mind cutting your father's hair? When I brought that up to my girlfriend, she explained that her mom wasn't being demanding or demeaning. It was just the way that she talked, and it was her attempt at humor. I heard the same words that my girlfriend heard from her mom, but we had a very different interpretation of emphasis. The misinterpretation of emphasis happens quite frequently when it comes to Protestants and Catholics. Consider the concept of purgatory. Catholics believe that when Christians die, they go through this process of further sanctification and preparation for heaven. Now, the Catechism says very little about purgatory. Catholics don't claim to know how long it takes or what exactly happens, though there is plenty of folklore like Dante's classic book, Purgatorio. However, Protestants don't have a specific word or shared theology to describe this transition between when we die and when we go to heaven, though I have heard plenty of Protestant pastors give very specific ideas. But because Catholics have a word for this transition period of time, Protestants interpret it as a period or an exclamation point when the Catholic Church intends purgatory to be more like a a comma. Since this is a Catholic podcast, I'm mainly focusing on how other groups misunderstand Catholicism, but this misunderstanding goes the other way as well. And it's not just a Catholic versus Protestant thing either. I've seen lots of misunderstandings among various Protestant sects. Uh, For example, consider the theological concept of predestination. What Reformed Christians, such as Presbyterians, mean when they say predestination is limited to salvation, whereas I've heard Catholics and Baptists claim that predestination is God ordering everything in a person's life. That's not what predestination means, at least not the way that Presbyterians and Reformed Christians use it. The point is this. It's important to approach Catholicism just like you would if you were learning another language and culture. As you listen to these episodes, keep an open mind and try to understand. Approach this like an anthropologist would approach learning about another culture. Now, you may decide that you disagree with the Catholic perspective at the end of the day about a particular concept, and that's it's okay. It's okay to make moral judgments about a foreign culture, but Before you make that moral judgment, take the time to learn the underlying nuances of a particular culture with their own language first. 
If you're a Catholic, keep in mind that you have a faith that is rich with practices and traditions that stems 2,000 years. Protestantism is much, much younger. And when you look at denominations like evangelical Christianity, um, it's so much simpler. And so when a Protestant accuses you of something that isn't true, like worshiping Mary, take some time to explain the framework of Catholic theology so they can understand it. Don't just get angry and spew words at them. And if you're a Protestant listening to this, keep in mind that there's 2,000 years of nuance and tradition inside of Catholicism. There's a lot to unravel. It's not as simple as it may appear. One more thing I want to mention. The languages I speak are Protestant and various dialects of Protestantism and Catholic. And I've spoken Protestant language far longer than I have the Catholic language. Therefore, when I explain Catholic doctrine, I'm often going to talk about it in terms that Protestants might find helpful. I might say things like, this is how I thought about Catholic doctrine as a Protestant. Now, if you're an atheist listening to this, you may struggle at certain points because you don't speak Protestant. And so that lack of shared language you don't have with me, you may benefit more from, say, an atheist who converted to Catholicism because you both share an experience with a common worldview in its language. For this reason, I'm going to sprinkle in episodes where I interview Catholics with a variety of backgrounds. So please stay tuned. But for now, let me say thank you for joining me on Why Catholic. Would you give me a favor and take a moment to subscribe to the Why Catholic podcast on your favorite podcast provider? And if you like what you're hearing, this is a new podcast. I would love if you would share it with your friends. Consider becoming a generous patron of Why Catholic. For just a few dollars a month, you'll receive some added benefits like being able to suggest future episodes, priority in having your questions answered in Q&A episodes, and connecting with me in live discussions over Zoom. Uh, Most importantly, this is really important, a portion of your donation goes to support Catholic ministries. Go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe to learn more and to get started. Thank you for joining me. My name is Justin Hibbard, and you've been listening to Why Catholic. God bless you.